Before we start this podcast, we would like to take the opportunity to mention that we now have a Patreon page where you can help to support, evolve and continue these compassionate conversations. Please visit patreon.com slash voce dialogues for more information. Welcome everyone to the Voce Dialogues, Voices of Compassionate Evolution. I'm Chloe Goodchild, founder of The Naked Voice, and this is our new online community where we are exploring, deepening, and evolving our awareness of the transforming power of compassion. Enjoy these new dialogues with a wide range of artists, musicians, writers, and philosophers, social entrepreneurs, and sacred activists. They are all visionaries, transforming lives through the art of conscious creative expression with practices inspired by their own unique life experience. The Voce Dialogues are dedicated to the compassionate evolution of life on Earth. Well, greetings, everyone, and it's my great pleasure to introduce you to Daniel Barber. Daniel, hello. Hello. How are you? <laughs> it's great to be here. So great to be here. <laughs> well, I am really excited to be in this Voce Dialogue with you. We've only known each other quite recently, but I'm absolutely fascinated by the confluence of different aspects of your life, spiritual and musical. One of the reasons we originally met was because you were actually running a beautiful program where you were inviting people to speak about their metaphors and experience of music and so on. Yes. That was a lot of fun. It was so great to have you on that. It was just such a wonderful experience. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. So that really inspired me to contact you and have a conversation around your experience of compassion, what it means and how it's shown up in your life and how it expresses itself through your art form and through your, your own journey. Now, if you don't know Daniel, everyone... I'm just going to share with you a little bit of Daniel's life. Daniel's circuitous career from social work to quantitative research, design and statistics, video production, political activism and music. Daniel Barber has worked with many smart, large-hearted and wise people as they've applied themselves to our collective challenges. One of your enduring questions, Daniel, has always been, how do we get from where we are to where we want to be? I just love that. I completely Mm. love that. You've come to think that how question is ultimately unproductive. So you propose a better question, which is, (laughs) what do I do now? So that question tends to wake us up and points us in the direction of the world that we want to see and or the way that we want to be. So it gets us out of our heads. It plants us in the present where creation begins. And of course, sound making is profoundly creative, connective, generative and catalyzing. And when we align mindful awareness with the use of sound, It matters in ways that are impossible to measure. 
Daniel, you just literally shared with me that your spirit name is Two Trees. And I'd I'd love to come back to that. That sounds Mm. absolutely fascinating. And that you're in the business of living musically and working primarily with people who yearn for that too. So that's where our worlds are very, very similar. So for five years, you've been working with individuals and groups using a six-phase process that you've designed called TAP the flow that integrates mindful presence practice with a unique musical improvisation modality that helps people engage their authenticity to realize and liberate their unique offerings and to claim their naturally powerful place in the world. Mm. Wow. Well, I cannot wait to hear about that. My sense is that it sounds like you stepped into your own life your Mm. self-created life. What a wonderful way to put it. That's so, that's something that I, when I'm in the midst of the muck, I I step back and I will remind myself, it's like, dude, you, you so created this. Yeah. 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 You know, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? To know the sheer numbers of people that every day wake up and fit into some kind of predefined box that somebody else has told them that that was what they were born to do. And they behave, they do it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, of course, that can be really productive. And I think for a lot of people, not even the thought that, that you would step out of line, that you would create something that didn't exist before. Hmm. Yeah, that's a a really great kind of point to make is, you know, we're all in that dance somehow between doing things that we are taught to do or doing things that we're encouraged to do or that are sort of made available because that's that's how you drive along in traffic together without <laughs> without crashes like every other hour and discerning how and when and and when's the right moment for stepping out and creating something that hasn't existed before and kind right. of doing that with a, an element of a, a level of mindfulness about it absolutely stepping into new territory just taking that left or right hand turn that takes you somewhere else altogether yeah so, Nobody paved this here. What's what is this? I'm, I'm, not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not in the middle of a field here. What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I know that one. I know that one. <laughs> Remind me not to make that turn again. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, I mean there are turns and turns, right? Turns turns. <laughs> I mean, I'm just completely fascinated by this concept of it's not a concept of course it's a it's a way of being called compassion and I I just wonder what does compassion mean for you and and how has that shown up in your life and and in what way might that have actually been influential in decisions you've made in your life Mm, that's such a good question it it takes me back to my my childhood religious experience. I came up in a Disciples of Christ denomination mm-hmm. in Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, it's a relatively decentralized denomination. And a couple of the underlying tenets are about each congregation and each person is responsible for interpreting scripture however they choose to. And so a lot of responsibility was placed on on each of us to do our own study and, and, and so on. But compassion was always a very core element of that upbringing. You know, the, the church that I came up in was fairly social justice oriented. You know, it was white, suburban, middle class kind of 
area, but we created summer camp experiences for kids from the other side of town. And we got names from the probation department and um, social services and so on. And we, and we, we created these summer camp experiences. And so from the time I was 15 or so, I was getting to be a support person for younger people of color, which I didn't, you know, didn't spend any time with when I was, you know, in my regular school situation. And so I had, you know, early on that experience. And then we also did a trip as a part of what that denomination did would send kids, high school kids to New York and Washington, D.C. for what they call the International Affairs Seminar. And so we spent about a week and a half, like four or five days in New York and three or four or five days in D.C. and just learning about stuff that's going on internationally and nationally. So being exposed to a bigger world, basically. And so for me, that idea of compassion has always, you know, tending to your neighbor, loving your neighbor has always meant, you know, much more than whoever's living down the street and extending it out further. That's amazing. Incredible. What kind of age would you have been when you involved in that activity? We did those camp friendship experiences. I was probably 15 and 16 and 17, something like that, a couple of three years there. And um, experience at that age. Oh, it was. It really was. To to really have some really enjoyable and some challenging experiences with people of color at that age, it changed my life. It changed my world. You know, it, it became very clear that some of these kids are having experiences that are much different than the experiences that I'm having, but they're people, you know, they're just kids. They're just, they're just doing what they do. And it was much easier for me to extend compassion, a real sense of compassion for them. And that really helped to drive. I mean, it was a very powerful driver for me to go into social work instead of becoming a doctor, literally. (laughs) I get it. Right, right. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a tender, vulnerable issue. And, you know, it obviously has been for many, 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 many years. The way that we we are so identified with our own culture. You know, what is it that makes us so passionate about our own identity? Whether that's cultural, whether it's religious, whether it's musical, whether it's mm-hmm. artistic, whether it's scientific, you know, whether it's new paradigm or old paradigm. Just that whole idea of how we extend ourselves to assist or to share different worlds, mm-hmm. uh, different ways of different ways of being, mm-hmm. um, different ways of living, different ways of engaging. Both ways, both ways, not just one mm-hmm. way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. so true. You're reminding me actually of, of when I went to Kenya when I was 18, a little bit older than. than wow. Because I just, I like you in a totally different way. I suppose I just, I just had to get out of my very repressed, squeaky clean mm-hmm. environment, and it was more like I felt like the compassion that was being extended towards me without anybody realizing they were doing that was very evident when mm-hmm. I came into the Akamba Mountains in East Africa and found myself 45 miles off the tarmac track wow. um, in an experimental school where Christianity, again, was here, the presence of Christianity, the Christian story. And at that age, you know, I'd been brought up like you in a religious household. Mm. My dad was a Episcopal bishop. And so we've obviously both had very strong doses of the institutionalized Christianity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, presumably the the positive and challenging negative sides of of what that offers you know the challenges yeah. of that as well right and it sounds to me that with our very different stories because i remember being in this school which was 
part of quite a lot of the different tribes in Africa were in this part of Africa. They were experimenting with the different languages, the different dialects, the different languages from the different regions. Mm. And if they could mix them up together and what what might happen, you know, would there be ways in which everybody could kind of explore new ways of teaching and learning from each other and all of that? Hmm. Wow. But like you, I had that same thing where I was suddenly required to, well, in my case, I was suddenly required to teach many different things. I was suddenly required to facilitate like PE, physical education, and as well as teaching the Bible, you know, and actually understanding and translating what the teachings of Christ were about in the Bible and so on. You know, at that age, you know, to have that responsibility is quite something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. What a, what an amazing what an amazing experience that that must have been to mm-hmm. to be sort of have that have that responsibility given you to right right to, to tackle it, it was but I think the deeper teaching and learning was definitely coming from the people that were there these incredible human beings the grace of it was that I was just suddenly in deepest beautiful wild nature and so the main teachings came from there and. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't realize that when before. This is kind of new information that we're gleaning here. Um, here we go. We're going off into new territory, we aren't we? Go. That's, that's what yeah. we do. <laughs> <laughs> that's Absolutely. what we do. So let's just get back to Anytime you. Anytime I talk to you, we go off into new territory. <laughs> that's what this is. Well, there's a whole <laughs> song title right there. <laughs> So this experience you were having in your teens and really being given quite some responsibility, but it sounded like it was coming so naturally from you as a very relational person, just naturally. Just where did it take you from there? Well, so I wanted to kind of see if I could replicate those kinds of camp experiences. And so social work, and I went to social work school and learned a lot about social systems and how things are set up and, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot about the kind of the structural racism and how that plays into things. Mm -hmm. And I was motivated to to make a difference. And so for a lot of those early years, it was about just learning how things are set up. And so a lot of it for me was motivated by, I want to make a positive difference in the world. But a lot of it for a long time was just like, well, what's happening? You know, what's going on? And I had a social work job for a while and I started noticing what they call the revolving door. You know, you sort of treat somebody for a little while and then you put them back out on the street and then they come back a month later. And and so I started looking at, wanting to look at more systemic causes for things. And so I ended up getting a graduate degree in applied social research. And the idea behind all that, and I sort of did that for that general career for six years or so between my, well, 10 if you count the grad school uh, time. But it was all about trying to figure things out so that then you could go explain it to people who are in power. And then they would presumably go, oh, like I figured I would, you know, take my, eventually I would take my research about why there is global maldistribution of food. And I would take that into the senator's office and say, look, this is really what's causing this maldistribution of food and why there, we have so much food on the planet, but it's so poorly distributed and so many people are starving. And then they would take that research and they'd go, oh my God, Daniel, thank you so much for clarifying this for us. We're, Jim, get in here quick. We're going to just work on this right now. You know, we're going to, we're going to fix this by golly. Thank you, Daniel. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And so that was kind of the assumption that I made for until my probably mid thirties or so. And then I finally kind of realized that really what 
in the third world where where positive change, positive sustainable change happens is when a bunch of women get together and buy a cow mm-hmm. and start developing their little, you know, from their little need and they start, you know, building community and building little businesses and ways to bring in some money and to to make things work. And so I ended up leaving that whole analytical world and got into video production. I thought I could just tell the stories of the cool things that happen all the time at mm-hmm. the grassroots. Mm-hmm. And I had a video production company for about 15 years doing videos for nonprofits in the States to tell those stories because there is so much really creative, cool stuff that's happening at the mm-hmm. grassroots that you just, oh, you know, you don't hear about. Yeah. So, yeah. so that was that. And then I ran into my own um, life and my second marriage collapsed and I had to, I had to do a deep dive. And uh, I had an experience at a leadership conference where I had sort of put myself out there as someone who was questioning whether or not capitalism could be healed. And uh, this, was at a, this was at a conference of, of uh, you know, a bunch of corporate leadership consultant types. And, and I stood up one day with a, with a mic and said, it's all this energy that's being spent on trying to heal workplace relationships. And I said, my question is, can you really heal this underlying capitalist dynamic? Mm-hmm. And so long story short, I, I ended up realizing that mm-hmm. it's kind of a longer story. It was at a Buddhist facility and they did, we did meditations in the morning and then there would be this intellectual process late morning and then there'd be creative stuff in the afternoon. It was really brilliantly run. And I was in my meditation one morning and I was facing my own politico-economic philosophy and pitting it against all these other people in the room. And then I started noticing there and it's like, oh, these are your thoughts. You know, it's like Buddhist meditation, right? It's like, these are your thoughts, you know, and that's just, it's just your thoughts. And I thought, oh my God, here I am. I'm having these thoughts and this guy in front of me is having his thoughts and he had his graduate education somewhere. And what makes you think your graduate education is any better than, well, and it just, I I went off into a a downward spiral. I was like, oh my God, I'm so screwed here. So I I went back into that that module where I'd spoken up a couple of days earlier. And I said, you know, a couple of days ago, my question was, can capitalism be healed? And I said, no, my question is, can I be healed? Oh, brilliant. And and that was almost 20 years ago now. Mm -hmm. And between Mm -hmm. that and and kind of getting back into music after my divorce, I've, I've shifted a lot of my approach to things now. That's so interesting because I'm I'm hearing you speak about the dilemma of everything from sort of structural thinking, how we've been educated uh, to think in certain kinds of thought patterns and thought structures. Mm-hmm. And that then obviously plays it out in the collective as what they call here the collision now between house-trained capitalism mm. and oligarchy capitalism, huh. and uh, <laughs> which is another uh, whole conversation. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but, you know, what's really interesting to me is what you said there was is that how you then made that big quantum leap from those external structures into the structures of your own mind. And then also what I'm, I'm interested to hear how the music came back after your marriage completed itself in that form. Well, fairly simple story. I had to just start playing the piano because I was so depressed. And so I just sat down at the piano for my own therapy. I played classical music as a kid and I started at four. And so I, I quit at 11. Then I took another couple of years in high school. But by the time I graduated from high school, I was a, I was a pretty capable piano player in terms of playing notes on the page. You know, I was pretty technically facile and my muscle memory was pretty good. So I could, I could learn some pretty complicated stuff and, and play it. 
but my brother was a jazz guy and I had listened to a lot of jazz as a kid and I wanted to learn to improvise. I just always thought it'd be great to be able to improvise, but I had never got any training. And so 42 or 43, I guess, when the divorce happened, I started thinking, you know, okay, I really want to get some training on how to do this improvisation thing. My, my trying to train myself had, had not worked. <laughs> really mm-hmm. need help. Or you could say it had worked. You know, <laughs> you could say it had worked in that. Maybe. You know, that it it sort of catapulted you into a whole new way of, you know, restructuring your mind and and rethinking what is true communication. Yeah. Well, you know what? You saying it that way at that particular moment really helps me to appreciate one of the things that I, like you mentioned in the introduction, creativity is a matter of being, I think it's a matter of being really present to what is and then going, okay, now what? Like in that moment when I was in that meditation, at that point, I had been doing statistics and research and like really deep into academia and really deep into activism and really deep into campaign finance reform. I mean, I knew what I was talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and not only academically, but I had been on the streets and I had been doing some work for the last previous couple of years on the death penalty and organizing around it. And so I I had a very Mm -hmm. solid structure. But when I was faced with that whole running up against this simple Buddhist idea that whatever thoughts are running through your head are simply the thoughts that are running through your head. You know, it's right. it's it's ultimately right. a bunch of electrical signals that are moving around in certain organized patterns that we experience as some sort of meaning. And and if you open up to the whole quantum world, it's like it's all just a bunch of patterns and energies that are floating around. And to whatever extent we think we're right about something or we think that we understand something, there's whole nother universes of stuff that we're completely <laughs> clueless about. Yeah. And, and so that moment when I realized it's like, oh, you know, I can sit here and have my, in, my own internal arguments with myself or with other people. But I'm still stuck with myself regardless. Mm. And and that's when I sort of realized, wow, can I be healed? You know, can I actually heal these deep conflicts that, that seem to be just right here in my own head as I meditate here? And from that place, I just made this decision. Okay, well, then can I be healed? And so from that simple little moment, everything about my life after that has been different. Wow. I love that. I love that. It's like, it's just amazing, isn't it? How that question happened. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, somebody else might've spent another 20 years trying to, you know, kind of identified with analyzing and therapizing the biological false (laughs) self or something, you know, you know, the biological story. But so then you, you've had all this other education that has been sort of opening your mind in all these very substantial ways of thought and then that deeper thing happens where does Mm -hmm. that come from you know Mm -hmm. brilliant isn't it there is a school of thought of course that says oh dear you know oh how terrible right but for me i just get really excited when people tell me just how dramatically we have these incredibly sort of you know lives that are filled with apparent obstacles you know and it's the obstacles themselves it's like you get in music isn't it Mm -hmm. when you come up against a different music suddenly appears out of nowhere you Mm -hmm. know or apparently you kind of contributed in some way to the creation of this music in your life metaphorically Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so it's like what do I do now it's back to your question isn't it what Mm -hmm. do I do now and how might the music change 
Wow. Yeah, totally, totally. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about this music metaphor, I think of it as metaphor and method. Obviously, what you do and what I do, we both are actually playing music. But as a metaphor, it's so wonderful because I can start to ask my questions in a way that takes my world in the direction that I want to take it. And in this instance, I'm talking about, you know, I want the world to be more harmonious. You know, right. I want the world to be more harmonious. And yeah. so what can I do if I hear this new music that I haven't heard of and I kind of don't like it? What can I do that would make the world more harmonious? How can I play with this music or how can I play with this person that supports this politician that I can't imagine why they're supporting that politician? What can I do that will make this relationship relationship with this person, uh, which is what's real right now, more harmonious. Right. Yep. And so what happened? So what happened is that I had a, many years of learning how to become a performing musician, which for me was a pretty big thing to step over. I had a lot of stage fright if I wasn't doing something that I had already perfected in the rehearsal room, right? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was fine if it was perfect. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, but the whole idea of getting out there when you don't quite know what you're doing was just terrifying because I just didn't want to make any mistakes. That was kind of part of my training is like, you just don't make mistakes. Got to get over that one. Oh yeah. <laughs> Got to get over yeah. that one. Yeah. And so I spent quite a few years. I mean, I, I got this gig leading the band at a church called the Jubilee Community in Asheville, North Carolina. And so I went from, you know, what I had described earlier, this, you know, being depressed from my divorce and like just playing piano for my own therapy to leading a band in a fairly popular church in Asheville where we had two or 300 people for like two services and then another hundred people for the third service. And I'm performing for like hundreds of people every Sunday, Whoa. basically playing a bunch of stuff that I've never really played before. And I mean, we played everything from Elvis, the Beatles, the Stones, Frank Sinatra, jazz, Motown. We played everything. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> so for one thing, I had to learn to basically make stuff up as I went and be okay with screwing up in front of lots of people. And mm -hmm. so my, my mantra there for a long time was dare to suck. <laughs> uh -huh. And so, you know, that kept me going is just mm -hmm. being willing to screw up in front of people. And uh -huh. eventually when I sort of realized that, I mean, I'm a decent musician, I would say that I'm probably a much better than, than average musician. My rhythm is really, really good. And my mm -hmm. feel and touch on the piano is pretty good. But I'm not the musician that I could have been if I'd stayed with the piano for the previous, you know, <laughs> 40 years. Uh -huh. um, but the thing that that I learned and that I eventually sort of decided was that I'm not going to be, a, I'm not going to make my retirement from being a professional musician, but I know I've learned a lot about how to come back to music as an adult and how to reconnect to that energy. Mm -hmm. And so I created this, this way of learning how to improvise. And it's really about how to be in the present, how to be mindful and how to how to explore sound in a way that you can create a harmonious situation or create a situation that feels authentic to you in any given moment. So it, it can apply on the piano. You know, I can sit there and go, let's see here. What note do I want to hear now? Well, I want to hear something higher. Well, let's play something higher. So let's play this note. And then, okay, now right now I'm hearing this note. I'm hearing a particular note. So, okay, I'll play that one. Um, and then sometimes you hear the note that you want to hear, or sometimes you just kind of get a feeling. And so you just start kind of, 
and and in the process of of learning how to and I'm sure you do this with your your vocal work too as you engage in that process of being present and sort of listening for what wants to come next then we can start to learn how to engage in the moment mm. um, and we can learn how to try stuff and we can learn how to relax the self-judgments when something doesn't turn out the way we expected. And we can learn how to be courageous and to try something that you don't normally do. Like I don't normally do that. It's like, Oh, well, let's see here. How was that? Well, it felt kind of uncomfortable. It's okay. Well, we learn how to be uncomfortable comfortable, a little bit more comfortable with the uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Because, you know, there's nothing bad about any of these notes. <laughs> they're just exactly. They're yeah. just being who they are. <laughs> right, right. You know, that is it. But what was happening to me when you were doing that was I could feel the different parts of my brain joining up because just the sound itself, you know, you've got the kind of left brain just thinking about where is that journey going and you know mm-hmm. staying with your idea of it being harmonious for myself and everyone but then of course once you start playing those notes you start hearing the space between the notes yes you know and so that the intervals themselves start opening something up in the in oneself that yes wasn't there before absolutely Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sound is a bridge, isn't it? Oh, it's it's this bridge mm. between between something that I think I can understand. I can say I can say that's a G and I can say it's a you know resonating a particular frequency and I can say that it's a minor third below this and I can I can there's a bunch of stuff I could say about it. Mm. But mm. but it's also just a sound. Right. Right. Exactly. It's just a sound. It's such a relief, isn't it, that it's just a sound. <laughs> That's a really yeah, nice but, sound. Oh, cool sound. Oh, yeah. nice. But it also, it, the way that you're communicating what's happening is that you're, you're also opening the door on somewhere we've never been, you know, and, and a sort of mm-hmm. sense of, wow, where is this going to go? Mm-hmm. You know, and a kind of sense of what is that? And, and for, mm-hmm. uh, for me, often in our work, it's, it's that the silence that's happening between one note and the next, it's also opening up different states of soul yeah. and different moods, different feelings. As you say, those notes that were much closer together when you're playing them together, it mm-hmm. creates something not so comfortable, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But kind of uh, ignite your attention in a different way. Yeah, yeah. And, and and then I get to have the opportunity to decide, like, do I want to stay in this particular, like, I begin to notice, like, normally if I, if I do a particular thing on the piano, and then I, 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 I begin to notice things that I tend to do, and like, am I, oh, here I go again, I do, I always do this particular thing. Okay, now what do I, what would I want to do? And, and if I start to do something that may feel a little bit uncomfortable, do I, do I want to, you know, stay with it for a little while, maybe lean into it a little bit more, you know, get, you know, do I want to, do I want to, you know, normally I won't, there's things that I might not normally do, because mm-hmm. I wouldn't think it's musical. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I close myself off to all the different ways that this amazing instrument could just be this reflection of how I'm feeling. Oh, you know, I might, I might be feeling, you know, you know, I might be feeling like right. that, you know, yes. I might be, and, and I might want to, and I might really be like when I was sort of developing this, when I was getting divorced, I felt like crap. I mean, I really was mm-hmm. in deep grief. And so some of the sounds that I made on the piano at that time were just dark and really, horrid but I was by myself 
And I could sit there and I could spend five or 10 or 15 minutes sometimes just going into that. And the, the experience that I had as just a soul was that I was being heard. Ah, now you're talking. Yeah. You know, it was like I could be held in the feelings that I was having. Mm -hmm. Like the piano was this thing that was somehow able to take what I was giving it and give it back to me in a way that was exactly what I was putting out. It was like feeling completely heard. Brilliant. And it was really profound to, to have this intimate relationship with this sound making device that the experience of it is like, I get you, you know, give it, give me more, you know, yes. I gotcha. Yeah. It's, I love that so much. So you're really making me more aware of the compassion that can be generated mm. for oneself, Yes, you know, out of this relationship with this musical instrument. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's just fabulous. That's mm. fabulous. I mean, to know that, to be able to articulate that, uh, you know, because the piano is not saying anything except that it's making these sounds. How do you from that point of view? It's not a human being going, yeah, no, yeah. maybe, yeah, it's not, <laughs> right. it's not doing it. But at some level, you're sort of internalizing. So you've got this incredible relationship going with yourself that is allowing you to be yourself in every imaginable possible way. Yeah, as as deeply as deeply as you want or are capable of taking it. And it really can be an amazingly magical experience. There's been times when I've been playing, and it doesn't happen often, but it's happened often enough that I know that it's the kind of thing that if you really work on it, and if you continue to nurture that and not work on it, but if you continue to come and show up and engage in that process, it's like a channel that we can develop more sustainably so that I can more consistently sit down and connect with my muse. That connection can happen more reliably. Right. And so you spoke about a six-phase process, is that right? Mm -hmm. And are we in this six-phase process as we're speaking? Well, I guess the, the, the easiest way to, to answer that is to give you a sense. One of the first core principles, I think, and I call it the holy trinity of improv. Mm, <laughs> um, it's this trinity of basic things that happens when you're improvising. And the first thing is to listen. And I've I had enough experiences, uh, I think we all have, of being in a group of people and you're kind of, you're improvising or you're doing something you know, step one, you know this in your work really well. Step one is to listen. You know, what what is happening? What's going yeah. on? What is somebody else doing already? Uh, what's happening in the room? Is there a fire? You know, it's like, what's <laughs> happening? I've recently sort of realized that it boils down to three foundational questions, that anything that's living has three questions to continually ask itself. Mm -hmm. And the first one is, what's going on now? What's happening now? Is there a tiger chasing me? Is there, a, you know, am I in the middle of a street? And then a bus is coming at me. You know, it's like, what's happening? Like, what's the situation, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then the second question is, who am I now? Who am I? How am I feeling? What's going on? What am I thinking? You know, what do I know? What have I learned? Who am I now? Mm. And then the third question is, what do I do now? Mm. And we've talked about that one a little bit. So, you know, what do I do now, given... Given reality, as far as I can tell, and given who I am, as far as I can tell, now I have a decision to make. Is it time to go in and eat breakfast? Is it time to read this book? Is it time to go to class? Is it time to do this project? Is it time to play this note? You know, <laughs> mm -hmm. 
it's it's like what do I do now? We're always mm-hmm. asking ourselves that question, mm-hmm. and we are so much in our heads so often by all of our structures that you that you mentioned these structures and these philosophies mm-hmm. and like strategizing stuff and planning and all this kind of stuff that we get mm-hmm. lost in those thoughts and then that sort of steps us out to okay well what could i do right now that would move me in the direction that i want to go mm-hmm. uh, and so mm-hmm. those three that holy trinity of improv is to listen carefully and then feel deeply you know who am i now is to really feel deeply it's like is it that it's like no i'm really feeling kind of that one that's where i that's really that's really, that's really, that's, I'm really resonating. That feels really right right now. It's like, that's who, you know, so, you know, so I do that. And then you're back to listening again. It's like, okay, now what? Okay, now mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. So that's a practice that anybody could do, right? Oh, yeah. With an instrument or with their voice. Lovely. Absolutely. It's what we do. The thing that we tend not to do, though, is to play sounds. We tend not to make sounds on a piano or a guitar or vocally, right? And I think the reason for that, and I'm sure there's lots of reasons that I may not have even thought of, but I think that a lot of us have judgments about what that means. Like you Mm -hmm. need to have some level of expertise in order to even sit down at a piano and and do something on it. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to play the piano. And I'm like, well, Actually, the piano is really easy. There's these there's these things on here. These you know these shapes on there with these little buttons, and you you put your take your finger and you you push on it, and that's 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 how you play the piano. You know, you push push on those buttons there. You push on them. That's how you play. I couldn't teach you how to play a bassoon. I would have no clue how to teach you how to play a bassoon. But I can teach you how to play the piano. It's really quite easy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, a whole different relationship to it, isn't it? Because, you know, than we were taught probably when we were kids, which is, you know, right, okay, here are the scales, here we go, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. you've got to get it right, and you've got yeah. to understand your grade five theory by the time you're 11. You know. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know, and, and Don't that, play any wrong notes. And that yeah. produces brilliant, maybe, as you say, maybe produces brilliant master musicians, but I mean, if I think of, you know, concerts I've just not being moved by and brilliant musicians mm-hmm. but i'm fundamentally not moved you know however yeah. brilliant it was technically brilliant it might be the point is is what what really moves you isn't it i suppose in voice terms people like leonard cohen or janice joplin really untrained voices or like voices that are just so unusual mm-hmm. or bjork there's this amazing yeah. sammy yeah. singer from lapland called mary boyne pearson and she just has this extraordinary voice, you know, that is completely out of nowhere, you mm. know, that it really comes out of the ground. And it's utterly unique. Hmm. And it and it, it's imbued with soul. There's just this soul, this presence of of the human being. She's at, she's at home in herself, which is what I hear you describing is happening here. You're literally coming home to yourself. And, yeah. and the relationship with the instrument which is not a kind of competitive, performative relationship at this point, but more of a compassionate relationship. And it's a present. It's a very real relationship. Mm. I've gone through a lot of different kinds of experiences with this in my life, but whenever I start to write, whenever I sit down at the piano, even now, I will usually start just by playing one note. Because a lot of times my mind will want to sit down and play something that impresses me or that I think might impress somebody else. But I find that when I actually sit down and just go, okay, 
and just play one note and listen to it for a minute and just connect to the sound itself. And just, you know, it's like, that's what's real. All the other stuff that I'm thinking or whatever is a function of all those electrical patterns that are already in my head running around. And it generally doesn't take me to a place in my life that feels authentic or Mm -hmm. like I'm actually contributing something or that I'm actually able to be open enough to be compassionate with another person or, or to myself. Yes, um, yes, yes, um, with you. But if I yeah. do this and start really listening. If I started moving down that path, a lot of times it might just only be a couple of minutes before I find myself doing something that I've never done before. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really interesting. And that I'm also really 100% connected to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like really cool. And I'll find myself maybe sometimes playing for 10 or 15 minutes and doing stuff that I've never done before, never imagined that I could do. And I'll end up just in tears at how glorious the experience was, oh. you know, but it's because it came from this place, this really simple, just listening and connecting and going, okay, I don't have to understand anything here. I just want to be real. And I want to have a have an authentic experience of being alive. I love moment. it. Well, now... It would be lovely, actually, before we close, to just to hear if you felt like you wanted just to give us a slightly more extended version of what you're describing in words just on the piano, if you felt like you wanted to do that. The other thing would be I'm quite intrigued also to know about this spirit name of yours that's materialized recently, at Two Trees, you, you mentioned. <laughs> Well, that's two questions. So I wonder if there's some way to turn that into a... Ah, you do one. You know, I will, I will, I will do that. I've never, I've never done this before. So here's, here's a, so I'll play something on the piano and then I'll try to address that question a little bit in excellent, a... Excellent, excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that little quandary that you just presented me with. <laughs> That name came from out of nowhere, or so I thought. Outdoors, in sacred circle, I looked up from my little prayer place and I noticed that the sun was positioned exactly in the middle between two trees. had several different kinds of thoughts that I wouldn't be able to articulate now, but that just really planted me in a place of appreciating how magical existence is. 
and how I'm not alone and how there's much more going on than I can ever imagine or understand or make sense of. And I just felt one of those moments, you know, just kind of got teary and appreciative and grateful. And I kind of looked down and started to kneel a little bit. And I said, that's amazing. I'm just, I'm just, I said it out loud. I am, I am. And I looked down and I, and I had one foot in one shadow of one tree and the other foot was on the edge of the shadow of the other tree. And I just said, two trees. <laughs> and, and I knew in that moment that I had just been given a name, which is usually about something to live into. So two trees, that's what I have to live into. Interesting. And then it was only like several weeks later when I realized that I am the product of two trees. My mother's tree, my father's tree. There's a lot of complexity there. My mother's father was one person and my mother's mother was another person and it just goes on and on and on. And a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about today is like this dance. You know, there's two possibilities. There's two things, you know, there's the yin and the yang. There's the passive and the active. There's the, there's the positive and the negative. There's, you know, there's these things that exist in this reality that are true, and then there are other things that are also true, but those two things are mutually exclusive, <laughs> right? You know, that's one of the things that, that humanity and in, our, in the spiritual wisdom and the traditions, it's like that's one of the things that enough of us know this stuff, at least intellectually now, that we have to face it. I have to be able to, to realize that, yes, my political economic philosophy about capitalism, whatever, you know, whatever it is, is true. There's truth in it. And there's somebody on this other side over here who sees things completely differently. Mm. But what they're experiencing as another life form on the planet is true for them. But intellectually, they're mutually exclusive. But somehow underneath, I think in the sound and in the, in the, the real deep truth that, that can hold this idea... And this idea, <laughs> which together, they sound really awful together, but somehow... They, they are interdependent in some, at some level, aren't they? They, they can teach each other other things. Yeah. And they can be beautiful, mm -hmm. given sufficient context. So it's like, um, 
And so music is this metaphor. It's this amazing metaphor for, yeah, it's possible for me to have this conversation with somebody over here that I completely disagree with, but still know that underneath there is, there is a way to make this thing more beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so my only question then is, what's my part to play in that? Even if this person doesn't change their mind or even if the world doesn't change to, to my will, the thing that I add to it makes the whole thing a little bit more beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, that almost, in a sense, comes back, uh, the sort of echoes there of your holy trinity of the musical process. Yeah. And it's, yeah. A, it's a communication form that you're highlighting here that has not been emphasised in our culture, certainly not in the culture that you and I have been brought up in. And uh, we've been brought up in a languaging that is much more driven by political and commercial language, you know, commercial commercial imagery, commercial economic symbolism, and also scientific technology. I mean, all these things that can be quite flat and quite cold and quite resistant to change, Mm. you Mm -hmm. know, whereas what Mm -hmm. you're speaking of here is the, the flow that you speak of that just enables new doors to open in the conversation mm. with yourself and with others. Yeah. And it's it's bringing that quality of presence into the world, which is what I hear you doing. Mm. Mm. Well, I'm yeah. so glad it comes across that way. That's certainly my dream and my, my desire. Mm. I think one of the reasons that it's so fun to talk with you, Chloe, is because you're, you have nurtured your musicality. I love what music can offer us, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, actual music, just as you've been describing it, it's so resonant for me. But the way you're describing it is so uniquely yours. And it's such a joy to to hear the same thing communicated in, in a different way. Mm. And to know that there are other people on the planet who actually do understand this language. Of <laughs> That's that actually is, quite reassuring. That is, that is very reassuring. Well, it's a little shocking. <laughs> well, it's interesting because even what we're speaking about has been pressed into quite confining musical environments or quite confining sometimes, not always, religious environments, you know, that, mm-hmm. that can however beautiful they are, can still be the last word on this. Whereas what you're saying is you're inviting people, yourself and whoever else is in the conversation, to be the first word, to be heard, mm-hmm. as, you know, as as the word. Mm-hmm. And then there is this place that is not us and them, that mm-hmm. is not that politics or that politics, that is um, it's that larger field of awareness Well, and I'm so glad that you mentioned that because it's the the thing that really sort of underlies as, you know, from the story that I was mentioning earlier is that I really do think that if we're going to deal with climate change and if we're going to deal with a lot of grand scale issues, Mm -hmm. it it really is on each of us to connect to spirit. You know, we are, we are these creations, these literal bunch of matter and energy that sort of got all smashed up into a body that moves around on the planet and thinks it can be in a conversation like this. Yeah. And, you know, we are the emanations of spirit on the planet. Mm. And it mm. seems to me that the the answers are not going to come from 
from those structures that created the problem that we're in. You know, I mean, right. that's, that's, that's something that, you know, most of us are, you know, you know, Einstein, Einstein and it's like, yeah. that's just how it, it has to come from someplace else. Yes. And so this is, this is my offering that each of us learn how to connect with that someplace else in a way that we can feel confident doing it yeah. um, and, and be willing to go into the unknown and to try to, answer a question in a completely different way than you've ever answered it before. Right. And try stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so refreshing. That's just so <laughs> refreshing. It's just so beautiful. I'm just so glad to know that you are in the world doing this work, you know, in this exquisite way. And so probably we'll come to a close at this point, but I'm aware you've opened a lot of doors mm. and this is a very multifaceted conversation that's opened up here and it's the nature of compassion that requires that multifacetedness isn't mm, it that's think, for sure. yeah, probably true isn't it yeah that's for sure but i yeah. i what i would love to stay in the conversation with you and other people i think pollyanna is another one and there are other musicians who have this kind of philosophical understanding of of the metaphor as you say the metaphor and the method that music can offer a language that is not just solely entertainment or for religious well-being. Mm -hmm. It's a language that can filter into the world in new ways that will help people to hear themselves and to communicate much more efficiently and effectively and mm. cohesively, coherently and yes, 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 transparently and yes, yeah. yes, 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 all that. Uh, Absolutely. All of that, all of that. And so in your podcast, people will be able to have access, They'll, the, all your information about your website and everything and your information and your music and your teachings and so on will all be in there so that people can come to you and access this understanding, which is That's fantastic. Great. Is there anything, any final thing you'd like to say just to complete? Just thank you so much, Chloe. I always love chatting with you. It's always fascinating. And we always take it to some new place. And, um, you know, I appreciate what you're doing. And I appreciate the curiosity that whoever is listening is expressing in your lives by listening to to this and to listening to Chloe's podcast and, and asking yourself the kinds of questions that can take take you and your life in the direction that you want to take it. Absolutely. Well, that would be a great answer to prayer. You know, it's just so it's, it's a great privilege and honor to talk with you in this way and to to really just be evolving this language of compassion through music, through the arts, through creative expression in a really substantial, rigorous way. That's I thank great. you, too. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And many blessings for your work. Many thank blessings. you so much, Chloe. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Two mm -hmm. trees, two trees. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Bye.